Hello, welcome to the Science for Policy podcast. My name is Toby, and today I'm joined by two guests who hail from the Finnish Academy of Science and Letters, Professor Risto Neemunen and Dr. Jakko Kuosmanen. Professor Neemunen is the former president of the Academy, as well as an associate of the US National Academy of Sciences and a Finnish academician of science, that's a thing apparently. He was also a distinguished emeritus professor of physics at Aalto University in Finland, where he was formerly dean of science. And uh, Dr. Jakob Kwasmanen earned his PhD in political sciences at Edinburgh and worked in Oxford before becoming the secretary of the Finnish Academy, as well as an adjunct professor at the University of Helsinki. He's also worked as a political consultant on five different continents, helping governments to build new capabilities for evidence-informed policymaking. Which, no surprise, is what we'd like to talk about today. So both Risto and Jako are jointly the partnership behind an intriguing project known as SOFIE, which the Finnish Academy has been running since 2019. It's now in its third and final year. Um, they are designing a new science advice mechanism for Finland. This kind of thing is very much grist to our mill. So uh, welcome, both of you. Hello. Hello, thank you. So this is a conversation I've been looking forward to. Uh, the SOFI project is one I've been following with a degree of interest, obviously from the outside over here in Brussels. Um, but I think the last time we actually caught up properly on it was at the end of 2019. So I'm very keen to hear about the progress you've made in the last couple of years, especially now you're in the final year of the project. Before we get into the details, perhaps you could give us, Risto, uh, a quick rundown of what Sophie is in general and what you aim to do. Yes, I would be happy to, to do that. As you already mentioned, uh, Sophie is a project. It has a beginning and it has an end. And its uh, mission has already been more or less achieved. Its primary mission has been to establish a new permanent science advice mechanism in Finland. And the main driver and the owner of this mechanism is the Academy of Science and Letters in, in Finland. Mm-hmm. Why the Academy? Why is the Academy leading the project? Well, actually, it goes back to almost 120 years when the Academy was founded. And in its statutes, it's written very clearly that the mission of the Academy, the, the goal of the Academy, is to provide science advice to the government and to other actors in the society. This was even before... Finland was independent. So this has been in the in our rules, in our DNA from the beginning. And Sophie is now making an effort to establish this as a systematic way of approaching um, uh, science advice. We have been in, uh, involved in science advice, obviously, previously, but more or less on a personal level, an ad hoc manner. The idea now here is to make it uh, a systematic vehicle for science advice for Finnish government. So so it's been more than a hundred year gap between the academy taking on this mission and and creating this mechanism. So so then what's been filling the gap? How has science advice been happening in Finland in that intervening century or so? Well, it's a very important question, obviously, and I would like to stress that Sophie and the Academy of Science and Letters is not seeking to replace or remove any of the existing actors and, and mechanisms in the field. We have a, a rather wide network of uh, what we call sectoral research institutes. These are public research institutes which have obviously 
a role in providing scientific advice in their areas of expertise. For example, during the current crisis, our research institute for health has been very active in providing government actual advice how to move on during the pandemic. So we are not building anything which would replace, but rather integrate and synthesize knowledge, evidence-based advice from a wide area of um, topics and also providing that uh, as an independent player, not being part of the uh, ministries or or the day-to-day government uh, functions. So it's independent scientific advice, integrating over wide areas and relying on a synthesizing effort uh, coming from the best experts uh, uh, in the country. So that's very diplomatic of you. I understand that these existing players uh, are not your competitors. You're not trying to replace them. So that's useful to know. But then the obvious question is, why add another mechanism? What's the unmet need that Sophie aims to meet that isn't already handled by one of these other systems that you hope will continue to exist? Well, I think um, we already evidenced, uh, and this evidence has been clearer during the recent times, that there is an actual urgent need for this kind of a holistic approach to complex issues uh, arising in, in the society. There's a demand for scientific advice for policy making and decision making. And uh, the Finnish government has uh, clearly recognized this. And uh, this has been the imp- one of the impetuses uh, for uh, making this systematic effort to provide a sustainable mechanism for scientific advice. So we are largely responding to a demand, but obviously, as I said earlier, it's very much in the DNA of the scientists and and the science community also to be active partners, players in in the dialogue. Yeah. You mentioned that the government was the prime mover, as it were, for the project. Um, and I think it's valuable that you have political buy-in at the start, but how has that commitment been maintained over the length of the project? I know, for instance, that Finland's had a change of government in that time. So how much of the initial political commitment has survived? Okay, maybe Jaco, you are the best person to answer this. Sure. So we got a, an initial seed fund uh, from the government uh, to launch the project, which we are very grateful of. But we have, they have been very hands-off, obviously, uh, in the execution of the project, because what they wanted to see is they wanted to have a bottom-up science uh, community-led initiative uh, that we executed. However, uh, what we've been trying to combine is both the kind of uh, push model that focuses on agenda-setting, science-led agenda-setting engagement models. In addition, we've been trying to build and we've been building uh, more kind of uh, pool models, needs-based models. And uh, what we did initially, we have run this as an experimental initiative. So uh, we started by conducting around 250 interviews with civil servants, politicians, researchers, heads of universities, trying to understand where are the existing needs and and, uh, the existing challenges. And so we work very closely in our development uh, with the ministry. So we've actually been uh, working to build engagement models that are helping the civil servants in their everyday life. And that uh, has gotten very good commitment from them. And also, 
uh, which has not hurt is also that the present government has made a promise on evidence-informed policymaking, which has given actually a mandate for many of the civil servants who are uh, genuinely feel the, the need for developing new uh, modes of science advice to actually work with us and collaborate with us. So they have given a mandate within their ministries and space and actually also resources to work with us. So, so also the opportunity window has been there, which we're very grateful of. Great. So we've talked about the role of the academy, your academy, um, but you also mentioned other partners. So who else is involved? Our initiative has aroused um, quite a lot of interest among the scientific community at large. We have collaboration um, uh, with uh, three other academies. Uh, in, in Finland, as you might guess, um, there are many functions which are uh, duplicated uh, on a historical language-based alliance. So we have a sister academy, which is uh, Swedish-speaking, and they are participating in uh, some of our activities. And similarly, there are two engineering science academies which will provide expertise, especially on technology engineering uh, related areas. So these uh, four academies uh, form a kind of a loose consortium with Finnish Academy of Science and Letters being on the driver's seat. So these are the main partners, but obviously then there is the the whole university community, the university network, academy members and other individuals uh, are also playing an active role. I guess one of the main aims of having such a a diversity of actors on board, apart from reducing competition, uh, is that you have also like a wide pool of expertise to draw from as contributors to the actual science advice. Exactly. We see this diversity as a strength. Uh, and also, for example, in the engineering academies, uh, the, uh, the industry sector, the economical players are also represented, not only academics being uh, uh, members of the academy, but other types of uh, expertise is also presented. So we have a valued diversity from the beginning but at the core is the Finnish Academy of Science and Letters, which is very keen on maintaining its independence and, and uh, insists on really calling the shots on how the advice mechanism is implemented. So just to add there, basically what we thought in the beginning of what, where our niche is also that uh, we wanted to be inclusive in our work and we didn't want to look as simply interest oriented science advice uh, mechanism, which only uh, narrows the expertise to membership. Uh, But we've actually started to look at from the kind of needs-based perspective where there are best scientists, best experts, we want them on board. So wherever institution they come from, whether or not they're members of academies, because the, the talent pool, especially nationally, is very small. So we need all hands on deck, definitely. Well, I mean, I think we should probably get into the details of what exactly are the features of the mechanism you've created, which I guess is what people listening are keen to hear. But um, but let's start there with what you just mentioned. So since Finland is, as you say, a small country, albeit no doubt with some very talented experts, does your new system draw on international expertise as well? Well, obviously, we are very keen on integrating to the uh, mechanisms Europe-wide or, or even, even globally. And from the beginning of the SOFIE project, uh, we, we have worked hard to really understand how 
science advice mechanisms are implemented in various countries. Yes, so there are, there are obviously links on advice on how to build science advice and, and also uh, apart from that, one of the, the models that we tried to develop is how to, uh, what we would call domesticate uh, international high quality scientific reports like CEPEA or ESAC or uh, IPCC or IPCC. There's obviously there are national mechanisms that are already domesticating these reports, but there are various very high quality reports that the evidence, which is, I think, uh, translatable to the Finnish context. And so we worked on trying to kind of utilize the already done research and high quality rigorous evidence synthesizing that is done internationally in the Finnish context. So that's one model uh, that we've been looking into and trying to develop. And other models, obviously, it depends on partly on language question, but uh, but not necessarily always. So we've looked into, you know, kind of uh, possibilities where we can harness the power of, of the international community. We're definitely want to use that. Finland is a very small country and uh, I always say this compared so uh, to say UK cabinet office which it has around you know 60 to 80 full-time you know scientists working there and in, in the PMO in Finland there's definitely not that scale of possibility. So we need to be very smart, we need to be very network oriented, we need to also leverage international networks in a small country definitely. Mm-hmm. That's logical. All right, then. So let's broaden out. The field is yours. Um, talk me through some of the key elements of the system you've been inventing. How does it work? What's cool about it? So I, I want to emphasize that what we what we started off is as an experimental initiative. So we got a very broad mandate and we started from trying to understand the system as it stands at the moment and then try to build, you know, hypotheses on engagement models rather than structures to begin with, trying to, you know, build ways of work that work, basically. Uh, so we've run pilots uh, on these kind of proto models or uh, experiments. So it's very kind of design oriented, very experiment oriented development initiative. And so we didn't really know initially what we actually want to achieve, because especially when you're genuinely experimenting, you need to be open minded about what comes out. Of course, there were certain side constraints that we wanted to include. We wanted to uh, the system to be inclusive, quite open, you know, both participatory in the sense of try to you know, bring on board the whole entire scientific community uh, in Finland and internationally, but also kind of participation from, from other stakeholders as well. Uh, we wanted independence. We didn't want government budget funded mechanism. And actually we told the, uh, the ministries when, who gave us seed, the seed fund that we're not looking for budget funding at all. And we've been lucky and uh, successfully achieving that goal. Um, also, I think our hypothesis was that the, the the most impact can be made in early agenda setting and early policy design process. So that's our you know kind of uh, impact window where we've been targeting our work, and we wanted to emphasize the capability to engage with complex policy issues. Uh, so those were the kind of uh, the site constraints or the ground rules which we started working with. But uh, but that was kind of the broader setting. Uh, so there's been so much of talk about complex issues and how to engage with them. And I wanted to, you know, kind of basically expand from a very narrow uh, question answer oriented uh, science advice logic to to actually explore just simply because there's been all this talk about, you know, post normal science advice or science advice under complexity. But what exactly does that mean and how do you actually tangibly tackle these huge complex systemic issues is uh, what we wanted to put our heads on. And that's what we've been doing. 
So I like this very much. I'm really intrigued with this idea of experimenting with a science advice mechanism. I mean, I guess it seems kind of obvious when you think about it, the, the idea that um, before you build a new science advice system, you might want to basically experiment with what kind of features need to be designed in so it does the job you want it to do. But I'm not sure that's how things usually work. I have a feeling science advice systems are very often politically mandated. Not to say they're created in a vacuum, but then the idea of starting with a blank sheet and then running a bunch of experiments to gather evidence strikes me as perhaps quite rare, which is ironic, really. Mm. So what's it been like to, to be able to play around in this area, to run an experimental research project about science advice on a national scale? So I would, I would say certainly that has been very fascinating and uh, been, a, been a very good experience from my point of view. I would like to emphasize that this type of a model uh, seems to work reasonably or actually very well in a country like Finland, which is in general built on uh, high levels of trust uh, between the citizens and, and the government and also very low hierarchy of uh, between the institutions. So I'm not claiming that this could not be emulated in other countries as well. But I think uh, in this country, we have a fertile ground for this type of experimental approach, trying out various functions, various mechanisms, and then selecting what works. And uh, even the political circle seem to appreciate this type of uh, approach to science advice development. Yeah, because uh, the, the previous government actually had a, a, an experimentation program within the government program. So basically the efforts to entrench experimentation at the very core of government were done at the highest political level uh, in Finland in the last, during the last government term. So there has been a buildup of a culture of experimentation in Finland in the past uh, less than a decade or so. So that's also been quite helpful. People start to understand when we come in or when we start working with ministries and they, they're very happy to go along with. So let's just do something and let's see where it goes and let's see if we can iterate something, you know, beneficial, win-win situations from there. So there are, I think the experimental mindset is also starting to be entrenched in the government gradually, though I would emphasize. Yeah, I, I should perhaps add that I'm not trying to say that Finland is some kind of a paradise where scientific advice is universally accepted as it is. So certainly we, we have issues with uh, fake uh, news or, or systematically trying to build mistrust and, and so on. And those issues are there, but I would say that um, perhaps our starting point, uh, the, our starting level is reasonably strong to build on the open society and, and utilize the trust elements in the society. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Okay, then, Yakko, maybe it's time to make good on your offer to get into the weeds about this. Tell us some of the details of the stuff that's involved in the mechanism you've created. So we've got several different concepts that we've been working on. And I think uh, the one I might just introduce here is, is what we call the science barring which started to build up from the idea of scientific red teams helping the government. Uh, basically, the idea of red teams being that they would test the tenacity of, of policy design process from evidence-oriented perspective. And obviously, that's something where you start with the idea is that that's a crazy idea that's never going to happen, you know, because why would they want people to come in and there just to kind of be devil's advocates and pester civil servants when they work? But actually, um, 
We've been quite surprised that we reframed it as scientific sparring, but there has been actually some red team activities that we've been able to build on. But so basically the idea overall in the science sparring was that we wanted to build a kind of a trusting creative space for a dialogue between researchers and civil servants uh, working on complex policy issues. So uh, kind of issues where exactly the, the question and answer logic is not clear, and it's not even clear that we should actually limit the engagement to efforts to build on a, a Q&A dialogue between researchers. Uh, so it's more indirect, uh, benefits can be more indirect, and there's not even necessarily answers that uh, come out from the dialogue. Uh, so we worked on very systemic, complex issues. So we worked with several ministries uh, on topics like the Nature Conservation Act, a, a public sector strategy process, and the national transportation framework. So huge systemic issues, basically. We wanted to kind of enable this type of cope building of policy uh, through a critical but constructive approach in a very kind of low key, very informal settings where people would be trusting and actually also open to criticism, but also open to kind of, you know, uh, seek mutual common ground. So it's a very kind of a, basically a deliberative effort, if you will. We kind of uh, work with uh, kind of exploration of challenge definitions, identification of evidence gaps or evidence quality analysis or extent impact assessment or exploration of policy alternatives. And so uh, I think we, you know, because we've been building it iteratively and we try to see whether there's a kind of scalable model uh, that works with different ministries. And we work with now with say five different ministries. And and so far the, the model that we, you know, what we've found useful and seems to be repeating itself in these type of issues is that there's three factors. So there's a co-interpretation of needs with uh, the civil servants. And secondly, there's a working uh, anchored in available policy documents. So it's actually document oriented. And third is that uh, kind of a facilitated very small scale forums. So basically, uh, what I want to emphasize is that the firstly is the kind of co-interpretation of needs is that, you know, because sometimes the, there is the discussion that you need to co-interpret the questions that then should be answered to. But actually what we found is that sometimes it's helpful to take one step earlier, uh, the co-interpretation is actually co-interpretation of the needs within the policy design process uh, with the civil servants by uh, the knowledge brokers. So the civil servants don't always know actually where uh, in the process they will need evidence support uh, on what grounds and what type of support. So, so that's the kind of first step. So then you get it really needs oriented and beneficial for the end users. The second is that you know you anchor it to available documents and that requires a lot of trust. Uh, that requires that the, the civil servants actually open up the, the design process and, and give uh, not ready documents uh, for to be shredded basically but then build up again uh, in the light of evidence so that requires a lot of trust but then that is enabled by very uh, very low-key informal forums that are facilitated because what we need to do is also we need to bring the scientists by anchoring the discussion in the policy documents we bring the scientists closer because sometimes scientists can start from premises and very far off so we frame the conversation to be very useful through the policy documents they have worked very well. The feedback is, or, you know, we get a school grade nine out of 10, basically from the sessions, from both the, the researchers and the civil servants. This exactly exemplifies our aim of actually building dialogue between the science community and the decision makers and implementers. Uh, and the, the other thing is early engagement. So that's 
what we have tried to do, and uh, that has been in general very well received. Uh, and I believe that that actually builds on the general strength of the society, of the high level of trust, the low hierarchy, which enables dialogue and which enables early engagement. Great. Well, let's let's dwell on this for a minute or two because a bunch of questions spring to mind. Um, so one question is about push and pull. You mentioned that you're combining client-driven and supply-driven advice, which is very interesting. Thinking about your red teams, your, your sparers, which is that? Do policymakers come to you and say, we're working on this particular policy area and we'd like your advice? Or do you knock on their door and say, we've noticed you're having trouble with such and such, we think we can help you figure things out? Yeah, no, this is very much like a pool-based model. So they, they come to us and say, we have this systemic issue. We've heard that you guys have worked with the Ministry of Environment, where we've heard very good things about that you have been able to give them value on, on the preparation process or the drafting process, and can you help us as well? And then it starts from there. Actually, we talk through them uh, the process of their design process. And then we ask them questions like, you know, what, what are the different stages in the process? How is your impact assessment? How, how is your challenge definition process going? And, and we try to interpret from there the actual needs uh, because they can be in different parts of the process, but they don't actually recognize it yet. So it, it's uh, technically it's not need oriented. It's first is to establish them a need that they don't actually realize that they have. And then it becomes uh-huh. a needs oriented process. It's the selling hamburgers model. <laughs> I get it, yeah. But I, I would like to add there that uh, it's also very important for the Academy of Science and Letters to be not only reacting to a pool type uh, demand. So the Academy is certainly not forsaking uh, the push model also. And uh, in addition to what Diako has uh, described as uh, of this uh, science sparring and, and the ongoing dialogue between different uh, ministries, for example, is the fact that the Academy is actively participating in the agenda setting, uh, uh, picking up themes which it considers important and providing kind of white paper type documents uh, on those and tries to push them on the agenda, not only to rely on the politicians and other decision makers to set up the agenda, but I believe and, and the Academy believe that uh, we have much to add to the actual agenda setting. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. And what Risa was saying, so one of the things that we've tried to give exactly the agenda setting is the another opportunity window. And one of our models, we try to uh, look at how to streamline these very traditional science panels that are, you know, very heavy, uh, take a year plus, uh, which include 15 members and, and they're very burdensome and, you know, uh, and we've looked how we can streamline basically this and have very robust evidence synthesis that are still kind of timely targeted and, you know, fit the agenda setting discussions in Finland. And uh, we did this with a small group, with a small team. We did an evidence synthesis on uh, use of digital media by youth and elderly. And uh, we did it very kind of in a co-productive fashion with a lot of stakeholders. Uh, And uh, we tried to ask them about their specific needs and where we ended up is kind of having a myth-busting papers. Uh, So 
we identified myths that are in uh, public domain, in public discussions on the use of digital media, like the screen time myth or the DigiNatives myth. The stakeholders said that there's actually need for someone to actually do some myth busting on these issues. Uh, and then uh, we thought, hey, let's try this type of model. And we just finished the, uh, the written document and now it's the, uh, the interaction part jumps in and we don't know yet where that goes. Fair enough. Well, so listening to you describe this system, you've used lots of fun words like co-production and informality. Um, and you've talked about creating a safe space where people can discuss issues with each other and be honest about the challenges they face and also be challenged to themselves. And I know there are many advantages to a process like that, an unstructured or semi-structured process, some of which you've articulated. But on the other hand, there are also good reasons why some science advice mechanisms um, are much more structured and take care to separate the different elements of their interactions rather more formally, which makes me suspect there must also be challenges that emerge for you, for your rather less structured model. So for instance, things like political defensiveness, the need for politicians to be able to clearly uh, indicate and record where their advice came from, who said what at which stage of the policymaking process, and openness to external challenge and the need for transparency. And these things kind of run counter to the urge to close the doors and have a free and informal chat. So is that something that concerns you? Do you have mechanisms in place to deal with those challenges too? Okay, uh, that's, a, that's a very important question. And uh, I, I believe there's something that we really have to keep an eye on. I believe very strongly on this transparency and, and accountability that has to be established because I believe that if you lose transparency, accountability, you will also lose the trustworthiness for, of scientific advice. And that would be, of course, very dangerous. And, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, whatever the Finnish model will develop into, th this has to be somehow built in, in the form of uh, documentation, in public debate and, and, and so on. So we cannot certainly go beyond closed doors and, and chat uh, comfortably with, uh, with the decision makers and then come out uh, happily together with a mutual solution without being open to the society at large. Jaco, perhaps you have some ideas on how, how we make sure that uh, the, we do not lose the transparency in the future. Yeah, I think this is a key question, Toby, that you're asking. And I mean, uh, to begin with, I think there are a lot of contradictory pulls within the science advice ecosystem. And I don't think that they, uh, well, to begin with, these contradictory pulls don't necessarily lead to a zero-sum game, not always within the mechanisms. But also, I think that there is a need for different types of mechanisms uh, that are effectively complementary. And so what you need to explore is, uh, A, the space that is, you know, already there uh, that that is you know kind of occupied by different mechanism but be also the type of space that is not uh, already occupied by different types of mechanisms and I think there are a lot of gaps you know if you look at the buildup of science advice being built up on different kind of strategic uh, high-level models like the linear model or the co-production of knowledge model uh, I think we are on the verge of a new strategic model uh, that is being built up uh, you know internationally uh, based on the uh, the kind of changes that we've seen uh, with these kind of fast building crisis, etc., but that strategic model has not yet formulated. And I think what we've been also looking with the experimental approach is trying to look at the the signals of this new 
emerging strategic approach and try to kind of hands-on touch and feel uh, what that would potentially look like. I think we want to be on the forefront of things, of exploring that horizon. Where it'll lead, I don't really know, but uh, you know, I think we found some things, very small granule things that we feel that are new and work, but I wouldn't say that this is not necessarily any better because what we need in a science advice ecosystem is we need very rigorous, structured, traditional linear-based uh, mechanisms and also co-productive mechanisms, but I think we also need something new that is still yet to emerge. All right. Well, that's uh, tantalizing. <laughs> Another question. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like um, an underlying feature of what we've been talking about so far is that your science advice inputs to the civil service or to government officials at various levels who are involved in policy formulation. Do you also envisage inputting at the political level, so giving advice to ministers and so on, or is that something that other parts of the ecosystem already have covered? I think definitely we want to also engage with the political level and, uh, and the decision makers. That obviously it's not a straightforward thing to establish in the spirit of inclusivity. We've already uh, established connections to political uh, leaders, to political parties within the Finnish parliament, for example. Uh, it also goes uh, through the general media and, uh, and various types of uh, media outlets where this discussion should be uh, encouraged and fostered. But obviously the mechanisms there are rather uh, different from the discussion mechanisms with the civil service uh, where you have a rather down-to-earth, reasonably well-defined questions to address and so on. I think, again, in a country like Finland, uh, we should establish a, a working interface dialogue uh, between the science community and the political uh, circles uh, across the board. Yeah, and to add to that, so we've been already in talks with uh, uh, several ministers about piloting a certain kind of ministerial science advice dialogues, uh, which we were inspired by Mark Ferguson's work in Ireland, and Mark mm -hmm. has been arranging these type of ministerial dialogues, and uh, you know we wanted to build on that and iterate a Finnish version of that, and uh, uh, you know uh, it looks like we're going to explore it at, at the very minimum. I, I should say that uh, th this issue has been discussed uh, quite a lot in the past and there have been ideas put forward earlier where there, for example, would be chief scientific advisors within the various ministries. I, I think that's closer to the British model, for example. But those, those type of uh, ideas of, of implanting scientific advisors within the ministries uh, under a kind of a political leadership they, they have not been realized in this country. And I think there is a, quite a lot of resistance of uh, putting scientists among the politicians in the ministries. That's what, like a kind of general cultural resistance in Finland? Or do you just mean now because of the current political climate for some reason? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think um, uh, actually the academy was uh, some time ago involved in an initiative where uh, suggestions were made uh, to go towards this uh, British type model, but it was uh, very quickly forgotten by the politicians that they didn't want to talk about it. Um, maybe we should somehow revisit the idea and, and reopen those discussions 
but uh, my recollection of the of the earlier experience was uh, that uh, there seemed to be no way of going forward along that channel. Hmm. Okay. Well, now the idea of experimenting with different ideas implies that maybe there've been some experiments that haven't worked out so well. So are there any interesting concepts that you've played with and discarded or I guess kind of moved away from along the way? Well, I'd say I mentioned before the kind of domestication of international reports. And so we run, uh, we run some experiments on, on, on some reports. And what we found early on uh, already is that uh, that model is quite challenging. We haven't fully given up on it, but we see that they, you know, at the principled level, it makes sense in every way. But in, in practical level, uh, we've found quite a bit of challenges. For example, I think not the least is that because they are basically ready-made products that even though and even if we would, uh, you know, kind of do uh, a separate calculations with Finnish scientists and kind of include an add-on to the to the international report, it's a ready-made report. And when the end users have not been able to be part of the early kind of, you know, framing uh, process and throughout the process, then they don't have necessarily ownership to the product, which is then harder to uptake, basically. So, so what we found is very practical problems on, on whose responsibility within the government then it is to uptake the information and, and pass it forward. If it's not part of a process, then it's much harder to kind of link into it. Uh, so that's one thing that we found quite uh, quite challenging early on. Um, and but the, you know, having said that, we haven't given up on the model because at, at the principal level it works. Uh, maybe we can find you know formalized connections that more uh, enforces the uptake of it in one way or another. But we don't know if we're able to s- succeed. I think it's also a question about um, kind of a timing. Uh, if you land a ready-made international high-level report on the desk of a civil servant, it may be too late for for us to really influence uh, their thinking. Uh, so it would be very important uh, also to trigger early engagement uh, in these um, internationally produced uh, reports and, and documents. So as Jakko said, we certainly will not give up on on this mechanism. We have been a little bit perhaps disappointed of of the response that we have gotten to some of our internationally driven initiatives. But we have to find mechanisms to bring them in at the right stage of the process, not too late when the report is finalized and uh, glossy and, uh, and, and, and so on. It's too easy to discard at that stage. So we have to engage our uh, civil servants, our politicians into the international discussion much earlier. So we've actually tried that this spring uh, with the with the ESEC decarbonization of buildings report, and which uh, there's a there's a long enough timeline to that. And actually, we found that there's an opportunity window because there's a draft legislation on on built environment just ongoing in the Ministry of Environment. So we've seen that there's a process, uh, there's a long enough timeline. We have, you know, identified, you know, uh, the the national scientific team that can help us with the domestication from the science perspective, and so we've started that those uh, conversations already. And so we basically try to tackle the idea of ownership of also trying to bring on board the civil servants far before the publication and get maybe pre-publication analysis on what's going to be the content of the report. So maybe that's already sufficient for you know creating more in ownership. We'll see. 
actually, that's, that, that brings an idea that uh, perhaps Iyasaka, uh, Sapea, whoever are producing these wonderful reports, uh, uh, perhaps it would be an idea to engage um, civil servants from various parts of Europe in the process of preparing that document itself. I mean, that's in a way is, is the way that we see these uh, engagements, um, sparring or, or whatever you want to call it. So the, the earlier you start it, the bigger is the impact in the end, I believe. Yeah, well, there's ideas to explore there. You heard it here first. But yeah, I think like it, it seems like it should be a no-brainer, as you say, that when you have a really good quality evidence review or whatever at European level, like a Sapea report, on a suitably universal issue anyway, it should be directly of use to national level policymakers who, who face the same issue and might not want to duplicate all the work it takes to put these things together. But then I guess the, the two challenges of, of buy-in and timing, so the advice aligns with policy priorities and, and really gets taken into account, has an impact or even gets noticed. These are things that come up again and again when we're talking about science advice. And I guess it's just that much harder to make it work when one jurisdiction commissions the advice, another one wants to piggyback on it. There's obviously more thinking to do here. Anyway, um, before we finish, if I understand correctly, you are now at the stage where you want to transition from an experimental project into a more permanent institution in Finland, so a science advice mechanism or, or a, a collection of different interrelated mechanisms by the sound of it. So, I mean, congratulations, big achievement. What happens next if the experiment's finished? Yeah, and I think that this Sophie has been a, an experimentation platform, a small-scale project-oriented experimentation platform. And I think the second phase uh, will look like one is that there will be, you know, more kind of permanent-oriented engagement models. But then, secondly, it will be a bigger experimentation platform for bigger experiments and and partnerships. Uh, and uh, you know, basically, the the hypothesis should be that things shouldn't be excessively in-house. Um, with the, the smaller the players are, the more you need to leverage the networks and partnerships. I think that's the hypothesis that this uh, the next phase will still build on. Rather than you know turning inwards and becoming close operation, it will still be uh, you know a reasonably open uh, and explorative and uh, and you know partnership seeking uh, model as well. Excellent. Well, I, I hope you can maintain the the financial security and independence to keep doing those exciting things without becoming too deeply institutionalized. And I have one more question. What have you learned? Like, So when the next country decides to embark on this process of, of reinventing their science advice system, as they might well want to do, for instance, in the aftermath of, of COVID-19, what advice would you give? I say one is simply, uh, it's more of a process oriented. Uh, so be exploratory and experimental. And two, uh, also uh, work in close alignment with international networks, because I think even though if there's not a translatable, directly scalable models, I think working in close alignment with the international community helps and it gives you ideas on, on what might work or actually it gives you even hypothesis on you can test in national context. So, and I appreciate the, uh, the work that SAPEA and JRC and OECD and, and other players in the field have done in building the INSA and ESA are building these networks. So work close alignment with these uh, uh, good people of international community. We're much smarter together. Uh, I would like to add there that uh, it's very important to appreciate uh, and implement diversity 
in, in, in many ways in the science advice uh, uh, mechanism. What, what I mean by that is that in my observation, the, the younger scientific community, the younger members of the scientific community, they think about the world rather differently from what, what my generation has usually done. They are very open to discussion. They want to have an impact. They want to engage in the dialogue. They want to build a, be, a better society. So whatever mechanisms are established, I, I think it's very important to keep an eye on keeping the diversity across generations, obviously across genders and, and so on. So that it's not only grey old wise men who are giving their advice among behind closed doors, but you also engage the uh, younger scientists, uh, the new generations. We have very good experience of this already. And the younger scientists are very anxious to take part in the discussions or take part in the activities. Uh, they have a rather different... Uh, and one, one last advice that I would give is that uh, if you think we can help, uh, please call us. We're always happy to, to have a chat. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, Jakob. <laughs> well, as, as I mentioned at the start, um, I've been following Sophie's progress with interest, and it's really good to hear that you've reached such a successful destination. So, so big congratulations on that. And indeed, maybe even more so because it's more unusual, maybe. Congratulations on the clear path that you see ahead for, for more experimentation and more development. In many ways, I think you're carrying an important torch for other countries and other science advice mechanisms. I'm looking forward to seeing and learning more from Finland. And of course, Risto and Jakko, both of you, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. No, no thank you, Toby, and thank you, Sapea, for the great work that you do. No, pff, well, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> the Science for Policy podcast is produced by Sapea. We're a consortium of Europe's academies and learning societies, and we're part of the European Commission's scientific advice mechanism. We provide evidence and expertise to inform the work of the group of chief scientific advisors. SAPEA is funded by the EU's Horizon 2020 programme for research and innovation, and you can find lots more information about us and our work at sapea.info. Finally, the rather lovely cello music that's playing right now is performed by Elizaveta Sushchenko. So I shall shut up and let you enjoy the last few bars. Bye for now.